the past 11 weeks, we've been in a series, we've been looking at the book of James. And we've been saying that James is teaching this idea that there is a faith that is not just worth believing. Like, we have a faith that is worth believing, but it's much more than that. We have a faith that is actually worth living. Something that we take and actually apply and have it affect every part of our life. And so, in the past number of weeks, if I were to give you a summary of what this looks like, we've had, we've had uh, a summary. Here, here's a summary. James first started out and said that we're supposed to find joy in the midst of, of whatever circumstances we are in. Whether they're hardship, uh, knowing that God is working things out in our life for our good and for his glory. James taught us that uh, temptations come from, when, from within our own heart. Uh, but we have, having a proper view of God, allows us to have the ability to overcome the temptation in our life. James taught us that we are not just to be a hearer of God's word, but we, to, we are to actually be a doer of what God's word says. He taught us that we're not, to, not supposed to show partiality. Uh, we're not supposed to judge other people, but in fact, we're supposed to treat other people as sons and daughters of God. James taught us that true and genuine Christian, uh, a true and genuine Christian Christianity, it shows itself in a love for other people. It shows in a love of other people and a trust in God. James warned us to, to watch what comes out of our mouth and to actually redeem our words. So instead of tearing people down with our words, we speak life into people's lives uh, with the words that we share. Uh, Jason uh, taught from James chapter 3 and, and showed us that pursuing godliness means that we denounce worldliness and we make sure that God is at the center of our life and the center of our heart. And then James taught us that life is a mist. And so we're supposed to, because life is so short and because life is a mist, we are to walk in, in humility um, uh, w- with God's will first and foremost in our life. Uh, Aaron taught us a couple weeks ago that God teaches us to, to love people and use money and not use people to love money. And last week, uh, we learned that a faith worth living uh, requires um, persevering with patience in the midst of our suffering. Eleven messages. Eleven summary statements. And, and we get to the point where we're at the end of the book of James and we like, man, I got this. Like, all those things. Like, I got this. Like, I, I can do that. I can live this faith worth living. We can put it into practice. The problem is, many of us are, are, are just like Peter. Remember, Peter. Like, we, have, we, have, we think, I can do this. I've got the will. I've got the discipline. I've got the passion. I've got the strength. And I can do this. The reality is, we are like Peter, though. All those things are, are lacking for us to be completely obedient to God's call. Because you remember the story of Peter? We shared briefly about it last night. Peter, on the night that, or last week, Peter, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, they're sitting around a table, and Peter says, Jesus, I will never leave you. Said, said, Jesus, if everybody leaves you, I won't leave you. He said, Jesus, Jesus, I will die for you to save you if that's what I have to do. He says, I will never deny you. And we know what happened. Peter, he is zealous. He is ferocious. He is passionate. He is on fire for God. He is hardworking. And we know that Peter epically fell at the question of a teenage girl. And he denied knowing Christ. He denied being a disciple. 
He was too confident in himself. Hey, I got this. I can do this. And this is where we're coming to James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. If you have a Bible, I invite you to turn to James chapter 5. If you need a Bible, there's an usher in the back who'd love to come and bring one to, the, to you. If you just slip up your hand, he'll bring one to you. James chapter 5, James is preparing to, to end this book. And he's saying, if we're going to have a faith worth living, especially in the midst of hardships, and especially in the midst of suffering, if we're going to have a, a faith worth living, how do we do this? And this is what James is going to say. For us to live a faith worth living, we need community. And maybe community isn't the right word. Because the reality of it, we live in a community. But we can be relatively unknown in our community as well. I mean, we can look and say, I don't know a majority of the people in my community. So we need a different word here. And the word that I want to highlight is communion. And I know you think communion, well, that's when you take the bread and the, and the juice and, and, and it represents Jesus' birth, yes, or Jesus' death. Got to make sure we get those right. Uh, wrong holiday. And uh, yes, it definitely is the sacrament of the church. But, but communion can also be described and defined as this. The sharing or exchanging of intimate thoughts and feelings. See, this idea of communion is this idea that we have intimate relationships with the people around us. In fact, I think this passage is going to show us that we need communion to live the life that God has called us to live in the midst of a fallen world, in the midst of hardships that come our way. We need communion. Communion with God and communion with the church. So I'm going to invite you, uh, James chapter 5, if you would do me a favor and just stand with me as we read God's word. Um, If you would stand with me, James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. Uh, The verses will also be on the screen, so you're welcome to follow along there. And here's what James says to us today. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. The Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins... He will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, If anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whatever, that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And that is God's word for us today. Would you pray with me? God, we just thank you for this opportunity to open up your word today. And Lord, as you are are, are drawing us here today, if you've brought us here for a reason and a purpose, God, we believe that, that you are intentional with what you do. And God, I just pray for every one of us in here today that you would speak to us, that you would just draw us deeper in love with you. That God, you would uh, let us hear exactly what it is we need to hear today. That God, you would comfort us where we need to be comforted. That you would convict us where we need to be convicted. And that God, you would call us to a deeper love and a deeper passion for who you are. God, we love you and praise you when we plead for your presence on us now. We ask this in your name. Amen. You can go ahead and have a seat. 
So as I said, I think the idea that I want to highlight in this, this passage is the need for communion-ity. Communion-ity. And first and foremost, uh, James is going to say, for us to live the Christian faith, for us to, to live a faith worth living, we need a communion with God. This is the first and foremost thing you see in this passage. This is what James says in verse 13. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Now this word that we see, suffering, uh, in the Greek is a combination of two words. It means experience and bad. And he's saying, is anyone among you experiencing anything bad? Are you experiencing anything bad in your life? And James, as we think about the book of James, James has given us several examples of what this looks like. This might be someone who's being persecuted for their faith. This might be someone who is dealing with economic woes. This might be someone who's got relational conflicts all around them. This, this might be somebody who is enduring all sorts of trials and, and hardships in their life. It might be somebody battling temptation. And it might be health issues. In fact, this text kind of leans towards this idea uh, of health issues. And we're looking and saying, well, well, what do we know that James has said about dealing with hardships and dealing with, with suffering? Well, he said, if you're dealing with suffering, you need to be patient. We covered this last week. If you're dealing with a hardship, you need to be, be patient and, and trust that God is coming to bring redemption. But that's not all that James says. Because now he's going to add this other part, that you're supposed to pray as well. Not only are we supposed to persevere with, with patient endurance, waiting for Jesus to return. Not only are we supposed to uh, weather every storm with the hope of Christ's redemption. But here, James is telling us, we also have to pray. And we have to express uh, faith in God's sovereignty. That God cares and that God is working things out for, for our good and for his glory. And he says, I want you to pray and, and it kind of, this is the idea that James is giving us. As you look at last week's message and, and what he's saying right here, is when you're in the middle of a hardship and a hard time, he's saying you need to hang in there a little while. You need to call for air support. You have this idea. Hang in there. Be patient. And call for God's help in the situation. But not only is, is James talking about communion with God and the hardships, but he's talking, talking also about communion with God in the good times as well. He says, uh, he says, is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. And James is saying, regardless of, of your situation, whether you're in a time of hardship, whether you're in a time of peace, whether you're dealing with, with difficult circumstances, or whether you're dealing with blessing, James is saying we are to live in communion with God, in prayer with God. And this is where you're saying, man, if I'm blessed in my life, like, I can look at my life and say, man, I don't deserve what God has given me. But I'm still going to praise God for that. Like, I can look and say, man, I don't, I don't deserve the kids I have. I have five kids. And what a blessing they are. I don't deserve that blessing. It's the grace of God, and I'm going to praise Him for that. Like, I don't, I don't deserve my wife, and, and, and I, don't, I don't have a husband. But you might not deserve your husband. But you can say, I, I praise God for that. That's a, a blessing, and I'm going to recognize that. Like, I don't deserve the job I have. And I'm going to look to God and recognize that that job came from Him. The, the financial provision that you're, you've been blessed with, do you recognize God as being the source of that? Because this, this is what James is saying. If you have friends in your life, praise God for that. That is a blessing from Him. But on the other side, in those times of hardship, and you might think, man, I never... I never imagined I'd find myself 
amongst the, the, the jobless. Yet even in that situation, I can look to God for strength. You might say, well, you know, I never, I never imagined myself being in this miserable marriage. But I can turn to God's grace and God's strength to be who God has called me to be. Like, I have, I have no clue how my child could walk away from the truth. And I could see them essentially throwing their life away. But again, I turn to the one who gives hope. The one who gives strength. Like, I'm not sure how to deal with, with anxiety, and you've got the holidays upon you, and you've got worries about finances, you've got worries about spending time with family, you've got all these things going on, and this is what we're supposed to do. Paul's, or James says, we cry out to God. We cry out for his presence in our life, whether things are good or whether things are bad. Like John Calvin, one of the great reformers, he said, there is no time in which God does not invite us to himself. This is what he's saying. We have got to live in communion with God. If we're going to live the faith that God has called us to live, if we're going to have a faith worth living and be who God has called us to be, we've got to have this, this communion with God. Whether things are good or whether things are bad, we're attached hip to hip with him because we need him in our life. But not only are we supposed to have a communion with God, there's a second type of communion that, that James is going to call us to. And that's a communion with the church. As James is saying, is you're going to live, if you're going to have this faith worth living, you've got to have the communion of the church. And let me, I guess let me clarify what I mean by that. How would you, how would you define the church? Like, what is the church to you? Like, for some of us, the church is a preaching station. It's the place that we go, and we hear God's word taught, and we, we learn in our knowledge— Okay. For some, the church is, uh, the church is a, uh, a place to do religious activity. This is where I, I, I give back to God. This is where I try and maybe get God to give me a little extra grace because I know I'm a sinner and I'm going to go to church and, and serve and I'll, I'll put some money in the offering and hope that God gives me that grace that I'm looking for, that forgiveness I need. Eugene Chow, who's a pastor of a multi-ethnic church in Seattle, this is what he said about the church. He said, don't just go to a church that thinks church is just going to church. See, communion with the church means much deeper than just going to church. See, what happens oftentimes is, is oftentimes you go to church and you, what do you do? You dress up. You think, oh, I'm going to go to church and I'm going to make sure I have a nice shirt on. I'm going to make sure, and let me be honest, I do this. Like, I normally don't wear button-ups. Maybe I do. I don't know. I, I feel like I kind of dress up a little bit on Sunday mornings. There's two Sundays a year I wear a tie, and I might even wear a jacket. And, and Dr. Etchley's excited to see that. It might happen on Christmas. I'm just saying. All right? And we go to church, and we, we, we want to wear our Sunday best. And why do we do this? Why do we dress up on Sunday? Because we want to look good. We want to pretend everything's okay. We want to say, hey, look at me. Like, I, I, I'm not this broken mess of a life. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm something. And we dress up because it hides our brokenness. And when we talk about the communion with the church, what that means, communion with the church means we can really be known. That we don't have to put on the fancy shirt. That we can just be who we are. And we can be known. 
This is where communion of the church means that we share our brokenness with other people. We share our mess with other people. We share our sickness with other people. Let me clear. I'm not saying, give me your flu. I don't want your flu. Keep your flu to yourself. But this is where when we've got these, these issues in our life, that we are known to other people. And other people have the opportunity to pray for us and to help us and to speak into life. This is why I love Restoration Church. Because this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. Like, I'm not sure you realize that, but Restoration Church, this is a place where it's okay to not be okay. It doesn't matter what you look like. I don't care where you come from. I don't care if you come from, from the big house up on the hill or if you came from the encampment down the street. We belong here together because we worship the same Jesus. We're saved by the same gospel. Like, this is what draws us together. Listen, if you're broken or sick or lonely, man, you are, are welcomed here. You are loved. You are accepted. In fact, I want you to be known amongst our body. And James is going to say, this is what communion with the church looks like. This is what it looks like for us to be known by the church. He's going to say, first, we need to be known by godly leaders. James says in verse 14, he says, Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over you, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. Now, I don't know how long you've been in church, but those are some pretty uh, sometimes debated verses in the Bible. Right? Like there are denominations that have split over these couple of verses right here. And we could probably spend a lot of time trying to figure out what does he mean and what is his impact on us. But what we're going to do is we're going to summarize that in about five minutes. All right? That's what we're going to do. When James is talking about, is anyone sick? He's talking about all kinds of sick. It could be, it could be a mental sickness. It could be a spiritual sickness. And it could be a physical sickness. Although, chances are he's talking about this physical sickness right here. It's, here's what I want you to do. If you're sick, I want you to call upon the elders of the church, the, the leaders of the church. And I want you to make yourself known to them. This is where, again, we have to make ourselves known. You got an issue in your life, you got a sickness, you got something you're dealing with, make that known. Call the elders of the church. Say, hey, this is where I'm at. And the elders of the church, they will pray over you. But let me ask you this. If you're not a regular part of a church, if you're not involved in the local church, who are the elders? Like, who are the elders of the church? Do you just call a bunch of elders from random churches and say, come and, and pray for me, come and, and, and help me? No. This is a, a call to commitment. Like, like where are you, what body of Christ are you committed to? Like, who are the people, that, who are the leaders that God has placed over you? Those are the ones that you're supposed to call on to come and pray over you. And it says that they will pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. And we look at this oil and we say, well, what is this oil? Like, like this comes into a debate. Well, what is the oil talking about? Is he talking about medicine? Like, is this oil, is it like a symbolic for medicine and, and the elders will give you medicine? It might be. Some people see it that way. I want you to seek medicine. If you're sick, go to the doctor. That's a good thing to do. But I think here the oil that, that James is talking about is symbolic, okay? Because when the Bible talks about anointing, when the Bible talks about anointing someone, they're talking about setting somebody apart for a specific purpose. 
And when James is saying, I want the, the elders to pray over you, the oil symbolizes that you are, the elders are setting them apart for, for special attention and care from God. It's a symbolic thing saying, hey, this is God's spirit resting on you, and we are trusting that God is going to do a work in your life. Let me tell you, elders of Restoration Church, Jim Herring, Dan Brown, Rod Nipper, Aaron Clark, these are the elders of our church right here. And let me tell you what, these men love this church. These men love this church. And I want you to know that it is a privilege for for us as, as as the leaders of this church to pray over every one of you. It's not an obligation. It's not a duty. It is a privilege to have the opportunity to serve you and to pray for you. There's no, there's nothing special about us. It's the power of God uh, that we are, are, are calling upon for God to do a work in your life. It's not because we're holy or righteous or anything. It's the power of God that we're calling to say, hey, would you come and do a work in somebody's life? So in verse 15, James says, And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And again, we've got to look and say, well, what is this prayer of faith thing? Like, like did, did, did James just say, like, like, if you pray in faith, does that guarantee I'm going to get healed? Like, as long as you pray in faith, then that means that, that, that's a solution. A prayer of, of faith is a prayer of expectation. It's this prayer of expectation that we expect God to do things that are impossible for man. Okay, we believe in this. We, scripture teaches it very clearly, Okay. We believe, and, and, and we, we believe that God will do things that are impossible for man. And, and, and the prayer of faith is when we're looking and saying, there's no other way for this to happen. The only way for anything to happen in this situation is for God to do it. And that's the type of prayer of faith. That's a prayer of expectation. And let me clarify, though. Does this mean that as long as you pray in faith, that God's going to do whatever you say? Does this mean if you pray in faith, that God's going to heal And if God doesn't heal, does that mean that you didn't have enough faith? This is not an unconditional formula for healing. This isn't saying if you do A and you do B, then C is guaranteed to happen. Because the thing is, don't mistake reading this verse about the prayer of faith. Don't mistake it, or don't read it without remembering what James said in chapter 4, verse 15. Because remember, just a chapter earlier, James said in 4.15, he says, If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or do that. And he's trying to give us a proper context. He's saying we're supposed to pray in faith and pray that God will do a miracle. But we also are to pray in reliance and in submission to him. This is the, the picture that James is trying to help us to understand. In fact, we think about a prayer of faith. I don't know if anybody prayed in more faith than Jesus, right? Like, did anybody got more faith than Jesus? If you raise your hand, I hope you don't, because I don't think any of us do, okay? Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, remember what happened on the night he was pre- betrayed, okay? He goes out to the garden, and he spends some time in prayer with God. And this is what he says. He says, in Matthew chapter 26, he said, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. He tells his disciples, remain here and watch with me. And going a little bit farther, Jesus fell on his face and he prayed saying, Father, 
If it is possible, let this cup pass from me. This is James, or this is Jesus praying and saying, God, if there's any other way out of the cross, if there's any other way, God, I'm open for it. He's saying this is what it looks like to have a prayer of faith. Of, uh, of saying it is okay for us to ask God to heal. It is okay for us to ask God to remove the trials in our life. But if you know that text, you know that Jesus didn't stop praying there. He prayed and he said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Immediately after, he prayed and said, father, nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This is where Jesus and James, they're not contradicting ourselves. They're saying, they're saying prayer, prayer is a request. It's not a demand. And we, we, we pray in faith and we need to make our, our requests known to God. We need to pray for healing. We need to pray for God's work in our life. But we also pray and we submit to God's will. Understanding that God is, is, is a little bit smarter than we are. He's a little bit wiser than we are. In fact, this may be one of the beautiful truths about prayer. Is how many times have you and I prayed for something? God, 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 this is what I want. God, would you just do this? And it's by God's grace that he doesn't answer that prayer according to what we pray. But he answers that prayer according to the fact that if we were a little bit wiser, we'd pray for something different. Because that's how God looks at us. And he answers prayer from a standpoint of being just a little bit wiser than we are. It's the mercy of God that he answers an infinite wisdom beyond our limited wisdom. This is what James is saying. In the community, in the communion of the church, you have godly leaders who are there to, to pray over you, to walk alongside, uh, alongside life with you. And they're going to teach you, hey, we're going to pray in faith. We're going to pray that God will do a work. And they're going to pray in submission to God. Hey, we're going to trust his will. And there's a benefit to every one of us when we have the, the, the community of God and, and the godly leaders around us who are able to, to lead us and to love us and to pray for us. So not only are we to be known to godly leaders within the community of the church, but we're also, be, also to be known to people in the church. Also to be known with the people of the church. This is where we have to learn how to drop our Sunday clothes and just be real with people. Because here's, here's what he says, 15 and 16. He says, If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And you've got to say, well, if James has been talking about sickness, well, why is he talking about sin now? Is there like this correlation between sickness and sin? And here's, here's two things I want you to think about. There's, there's typically two responses to sickness, Right? Like when you get sick, when you get at that moment when you've got the flu and you're, you're, you're coming out both ends and you find yourself, you don't know which end to put on the toilet seat and you don't know what you're doing. Okay, there's two responses. One of them is you're praying. <laughs> sorry. sorry, you guys got some great visuals in your mind right now. That was unscripted. Um, <laughs> the first response when you're in that sickness is you're like, man, God, I just, I just want to die. Like, God, would you take me home? Like, Lord, I don't want to, this is horrible. I don't want to be here anymore. Yeah, we've all been there. The second response, though, is probably a little bit deeper. Because the second response is when you're in that sickness, 
when you have a chronic health issue, when you have something going on, the second thing it makes us want to do is it makes us want to get our life right. It makes us want to get our life right. And sometimes God uses physical sickness to result in spiritual renewal in our lives. And this is where James is looking and he's talking to us. And he's saying, he's talking about being known to people. And he's saying, people, you're supposed to go to one another. We're supposed to repent of our sin. It means that we open up our junk drawer of our life. And we're saying, hey, this is where I'm struggling. Here's the issue I have in my life. Here's where I'm at. He says, go and confess your sins to the people in the church. He doesn't say go to the priest and confess your sins. He doesn't say go to your small group and complain about some other person to your small group. He says go to other people in the church and open your junk drawer. Confess it. Share where you're at. Share where you're struggling. Can we just do something? Can we stop trying to pretend to be, to be more than we really are? And I understand the cost of confession. You look at the cost of confession and say, well, if I confess this, man, the, the consequences, they might be severe. Like if I, if I confess this issue in my life, yeah, but what's, what's the greater consequence? Being made known or letting it continue to fester in your life? Until when you're dragged out into the open. Reality of it? Man, there are people, I'm going to guess in this building, struggling with pornography. There are people struggling with eating disorders. There are people who are, are, are flirting with somebody at work. People in the midst of depression. People in the midst of stealing little things. People who have lived in this life where they live by white lies, thinking it's okay because no one's getting hurt by my white lies. There's probably a hundred different things that people in this room are struggling with. And you know, the only way to kill that darkness, the only way to kill the darkness is to bring it into the light. The only way for us to, to kill that is to bring it into the light. And this is where I can tell you from experience in my own life, like there is a crazy amount of freedom. There's a crazy amount of freedom when you bring that darkness into the light, where there are no more secrets. When you can say, this is where I'm at, this is where I'm struggling. Like there's a, a tremendous amount of freedom. And just, and just experiencing that and saying, this is where I'm at. And then all of a sudden this weight lifts from you. I mean, there are, there are medical studies by, by non-Christian universities that talk about this same idea that when you, uh, when you verbally uh, confess your sin, that there's improved intimacy in relationships. There's better sleep. There's wonderful results for your health. If we would just stop living in secret, if we would share where we are and bring those things out into the open. Let me say, it's much better for you and I to, to bring these things out into the light instead of waiting and having these things dragged out into the light on its own. And this is what James is saying. He's saying, in the community of the church. See, I'm trying to tie those words together. It's not working very well. In the community of the church, we're supposed to be known to people. 
and have this opportunity to share our struggles. And those people then walk alongside us and those people pray with us and they encourage us and they hold us accountable. And James has this great thing that he says, he says that we may be healed. Like there is healing for us if we would live and and we would make ourselves known to the people in the church. Man, doesn't it sound great? Healing. James says, verse 16, he says, The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. He's going to give us an example. And he says, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. James is saying, hey, this is what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be known to people. Make ourselves known. It means we, we confess our sins to one, to one another. We, we let people into our mess. And they can pray over us. And they can hold us accountable. And you have this communion with people. Now, I know, I don't know about you, but I know about me. Like when I hear that, when I hear that James says, I'm supposed to be known to people, I become a little bit concerned because, you know what? Sometimes I'm not sure people can be trusted. Like sometimes people can be harsh. Sometimes people can be judgmental. Sometimes people can be mean. And I would say absolutely yes, sometimes people can be like that. And I would say absolutely yes, people are like that. And so are you. And so is Elijah. I mean, we think, we think, oh, I'm not like that. We all have this tendency to be harsh and judgmental and mean towards one another. And, and he gives us this, this picture of Elijah. See, Elijah is a lot like Peter. And I don't know how familiar you are with Elijah's story in the Bible. Elijah is a prophet in the Old Testament. And he's often seen as being this glowing, great prophet. And he was a great prophet. Okay? Elijah, uh, God called Elijah, hey, I want you to, to bring judgment to, his, uh, to Israel. I want you to go to the king, and I want you to tell him, there's not going to be rain on this land until I pray. So Elijah goes, and he does that, and he tells King Ahab, he says, hey, there's not going to be any rain for three years. For three years and six months. And King Ahab, and remember King Ahab, he had his wife named Jezebel. Okay, men, single guys, don't ever marry a girl named Jezebel. It's just not going to work good for you, okay? So King Ahab and Jezebel, they're angry, at, uh, they're angry at the prophet Elijah. They're like, Elijah, you're the reason there's no rain. And so they, they start pursuing Elijah's life. And Elijah, if you know the story, he goes to the brook Cherub. Uh, and he's there for, for a period of time. And God provides him uh, water through the brook. He provides him uh, food from the birds in the, uh, of the air. And he lives there for a season. There's people dying all around him. But God is providing for Elijah. Eventually, that, that brook dries up, and, and so God leads Elijah to uh, the, the, the widow Zarephath. And, and God says, hey, she has a little bit of flour and oil, and I want she, and she's going to provide for you. And, and God multiplies that flour and oil and takes care of, of them for a period of time, and, and God does his miracle there. And then we see Elijah at, at Mount Carmel. And maybe you know the story of Mount Carmel where, where he's there and he challenges the, pro, the false prophets, the prophets of Baal. He says, hey, you call on your God to set fire to this, uh, this sacrifice and, and I'll call to my God to set fire to, my, uh, to, to, to this sacrifice. And, and whoever's God brings fire to the sacrifice, their God is the true God. And so, you know, the prophets of Baal, they did their songs, they did their dances and they're trying to bring fire and Baal, come and bring fire. And the prophet of Baal never, the prophets of Baal, they don't, their God doesn't provide. And then 
And then Elijah prays, and fire rains down from heaven and burns the sacrifice. And like, isn't that great? Like, wouldn't you love to have that, that, that spiritual gift, like to bring fire down in a moment's instant? Like, that would be so fun. So, so uh, he calls down fire. It kills, or burns the, the, the offering, and it kills all of the false prophets of Baal. And this is where we begin to see the evilness of Jezebel. And Jezebel tells Elijah, she says, God deal harshly with me by this time, if tomorrow, by this time, if you're not dead. He says, Elijah, she says, Elijah, I'm going to make sure you're dead. I'm going to make sure you are killed. And how does Elijah respond? I mean, you think about Elijah, he's a man of faith. Like, he has seen God do tremendous miracles. He's seen God provide for him time and time again. Man, God gave him the ability to call down fire from heaven. Like, how awesome is that? This is a man of tremendous faith. And what does he do? He runs away. He hides. He pouts. And he says, God, God, why don't you just take my life? Why don't you just let me die? See, Elijah is a man with a nature like you and me. There are moments when we see God do tremendous things in our midst and in our community, in our lives. And then the next day, for some reason, we do something dumb. And we turn back on God. And this is, this is what he's saying. He calls him a righteous man. And we look in the church around us and we say, well, well I'm not sure any of these people are, are righteous in their own, and they're not. They're made righteous because of what God has said about them. They're righteous because of what Jesus has done for them. And that's when he's looking at the church of God and saying, how am I supposed to trust them? And he's saying, they're righteous because of what Jesus has said about them and what Jesus has done for them. The reality of it, sometimes the people of the church are prophetic and sometimes they are pathetic. But listen, God put them there. God put them there to bless us, to help us live a faith that is worth living. And he's calling us to trust weak, infallible people to pray over us, to love us, to serve us, to hold us accountable. And God calls them righteous not because of how great they are, but because of what Jesus has done for them on the cross. He gives them a new name. Last verse that James is dealing with about the communion with the church. He says, my brothers, verse 19, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. When we laid out this series, we actually had a whole week we're going to deal with these two very specific verses. Fortunately for timing, we combine this into this message today. But here's what it looks like. My wife and I, when we go driving someplace, I'm behind the wheel. I know where I'm going. I'm a guy. I know where I'm going. And she's got her iPhone out. And she's following along. She's like, nope, you took the wrong turn. Nope, we're supposed to take that. You got you to gotta turn around and go this way. I said, how good is it to have my wife sitting next to me with that phone in her hand, with Siri telling us where to go and what to do. Like, have you ever seen this play out in your own life? Where you're going down, never, never. Whoa! 
I think that was a sarcastic never, I think. Like, isn't this the way life works? We're going down some path, and how good is it for us to have people in our life who can call us to the carpet, who can give us a big kick in the backside when we need it? Because the reality of it is, we all take wrong turns. We'd love to say we're going to be completely righteous, but we're like Elijah. We know what we're supposed to do. We see God do these things, and so oftentimes we take that wrong turn. And it's so good for us to be known by people and have people in our life who can call us back, who can say, listen, I see where you're headed. You're going down a wrong path. But I can think about situations and times in my life, but I can say I wouldn't be here today. And there wasn't a few times in my life when somebody called me and said, hey, you're being an idiot. You need to come back to, to, to where you're supposed to be. Like, how true is that in our life as well? And this is where James is saying, for us to live the, the, a faith that is worth living and live the life that God has called us to, we need to have a community with God and the community of the church. And just as we think about how to close this thing today, can I be honest about our prayer for every one of us today? My prayer for every one of us is that we would experience weariness. That you would experience weariness. And you say, well, that doesn't sound very nice. Thanks, jerk. That, doesn't sound, that sounds kind of mean. Let me say why I would pray for weariness for us. Because when we get to the point of being weary from, from trying to do life on our own, it leads us to the point of surrender. It leads us to the point of saying, God, God, I'm weary. I'm surrendering to you now. God, my prayer and my praise is going to you. Because God, I know that you can give me the strength to do more than I could ever do on my own. And praying for weariness, because secondly, you know what weariness is going to cause us to do? is cause us to, to seek the community. To submit ourselves to the body of Christ. To, to the church, where we can experience gospel community. All of us going to, to follow after the same Jesus. Proclaiming the same message of Jesus Christ and his salvation on the cross. And waiting for his redemption and the second coming. So here's what I want to do today in response. As James has talked about the elders of the church, I'm going to, during our worship times of response today, I'm going to ask our elders to come forward. Dan's playing bass. I don't know if you can get out of bass or not. But if you would like our elders to pray over you, just during this time of response, I'm just going to invite you during these couple of songs just to come forward. And we'd love to just have the opportunity to pray with you, to encourage you, to support you. Listen, I'd encourage you just to consider where you're at today. Consider your commitment to the community of God. We're not a perfect community. I think we're called to be. I think we're called to be who God has called us. And be faithful to that. So I invite you during this time of response. If you'd like to come forward and have me and one of our elders pray for you, we'd love that opportunity. Maybe you need to spend some time in confession. Maybe you need to grab somebody in here. Maybe you need to come forward to one of the elders and say, hey, I need to share with you where I've been at because I know it's not good for me and I need to bring this out into the light. Maybe it's one of us. Maybe it's one of you. You need to grab someone else in the, in, in the congregation today. 
But listen, for us to be all that God has called us to be, we need that community with God. We need to take that time to pray. And we need the community of each other. Amen? Let's pray.